0: Good morning. It is nice to see all of you. If you would, would you please open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. So as you're turning to 2 Timothy 3, if you need a Bible, we'd love to get one in your hands. Please raise your hand and we'll get one to you soon. While you're turning to 2 Timothy 3 a few announcements to reiterate what uh, Caleb has already told us Number one this evening at 6 p.m we are having a joint worship and prayer service with about six other churches in town Mountain View, Flag Bible, Grace, uh, North Phoenix to replant in town and Calvary Bible and us. so six churches is at Flag Bible. 6 p.m. to 7.15, we'd love for you to come out and join us as an evening of worship. Each of the senior pastors of the churches in town will be leading in brief prayer on different topics at different points for the evening. So we'd love to see you come out and, and be there as we worship the Lord as, as the church and flagstaff. Also, just by way of reminder, second service, we have adult Sunday school and Jeff Newman's going to be teaching on serving from scripture and I encourage you to go, go to that. Well, we are continuing our series called Ecclesia this morning. On this Palm Sunday, we're continuing our Ecclesia series. And this series is being concerned with what the Bible says about features of a faithful church. What does Jesus by his Spirit communicate in the Bible of what it means to be us? Why are we gathering to do this? What's the significance of this week in, week out, and more? And in this series, this is the 11th message, and in the past three weeks, we have focused in on the doctrine of preaching. We spent two weeks in this same text, the end of Second Timothy and into 2 Timothy 4, looking at what the Bible says about the centrality of preaching and the role of preachers in the life of a congregation, and the congregation's response to the word preached to them, we began to look at last week. And we're looking again at this week. So subtitle for taking notes is Hearing and Receiving All of Christ from All of Scripture. So with that said, if you would join me in verse 1 of 2 Timothy 3.1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 to set the word before us, pray, and we will jump into the message this morning. Scripture reads, But understand this. Then in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households And capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. This is God's word for us this morning. Let's look to him together in prayer. Father, you have set before us serious words. You have said before serious words and elsewhere in scripture, we can see that you liken the Christian life as spiritual warfare. There is an enemy of our souls and his evil minions seek to continue to do what Satan did in the garden to distort and deny and detract from the word of God. And the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, there is a seriousness that you assign to your word and to sitting under the word preached. And we pray this morning that with great sobriety and clarity of mind, we would see and receive all your word would say. That we would be on guard and be vigilant on the one hand and rejoice and treasure and even tremble at your word, Lord. For we know that your eye is searched to and fro, to and fro throughout the earth, looking for those who tremble at your word to set your favor upon them. And so Lord, you, you set that before us today. And so would you please then help us, grow us, strengthen us, do your will, accomplish your will in every heart this morning. Help us to be good hearers of all of Christ from all of scripture. To that end, Lord, would you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, and all of God's people said, amen. She was raised in a a Christian home. It was a fairly nominal Christian home. Uh, Her parents had been raised in a Christian home as well, but the way their household worked Especially in middle school and high school, when sports came on the scene, sports and weekend trips usually won out over church. The youth group that she went to was largely entertainment-based. A little bit of Jesus sprinkled in here and there, but it was a lot of games and activities, and it was a really fun time. She thought the youth pastor was cool, but not much Bible and the way the church life was organized, she had grown up going into um, elementary school, adult, Sunday school, middle school, high school, and really, she only came to what they called big church a few times a year uh, for holidays and certain events. But as this young woman got older, she lived in two worlds. She got her iPhone when she was in seventh grade And it was for safety purposes for her parents to be able to contact her and more. But as she lived on her phone, she lived in two worlds and she didn't realize it. She did go to church a couple times a month. She had a little bit of Bible in her heart, but she had a whole lot of social media. And so she was presented with two different worlds and two different ways of living and she didn't even realize it. College came, she left home And the subtle messages of social media, the outright assaults against what she heard about Jesus, the friends that she made in the dorms and her professors, she could not reconcile these two completely different worlds, the way of Christ and the alluring way that she saw as she scrolled through the feed, read the comments, heard the comments and more. And the pressure and the pull of the world drew her from away from a Bible she didn't really understand and a Jesus she didn't really know. She was, without knowing it, taken captive by the enemy of her soul. She was seduced and allured by the pleasures of the world and she didn't even know it and she kind of liked it. And a little of the word that she had in her heart was choked out, and there was little resistance on her end. And now, in her third year of college, she no longer calls herself a Christian. And that's because she believes what she hears on social media and from her professors, that the Bible is repressive. It's misogynistic and patriarchal. And she believes that the Bible is, frankly, a book of hate speech, And so she has renounced Christ and actually works against the message of Christ in various protests in online communities. Sadly, that is not a fake story. But in the same youth group, there was another young woman. Similar upbringing, but in this case, her parents made life in the local church centered to the life of their family. They made decisions about their family life that made sure that they knew that church was the primary centerpiece of how they organized their lives. She too was given an iPhone, she too had social media accounts, but her parents were involved in her social media diet, there were certain forms of media she was not allowed to engage in, and they also gave her freedom and responsibility in that social media engagement. But her heart was conflicted and her heart was discerning. Because she read the messages and she saw what people said and what people did and the, what the images, those stories that were told. But she knew in her heart that that was not the way of Jesus. And as, as luring as they were, she, she chose to exercise discernment and self-control in how she brought the digital world into her life and more. And she loved going to church. She was hungry for Jesus. She was hungry to feast on the word. She didn't understand it, but she wanted to know more. So she showed up and so she joined her parents when they went to so-called big church and then enjoyed going to youth group and getting what she could out of the word. And she went away to college and she found a healthy, strong college ministry and began to participate in that. And she, to this day, also in her third year, is flourishing as she serves in her local church and her parachurch ministry. You have, like we saw last week, two different hearts that largely sat under the same word preached, albeit to different volumes, and two completely different worlds of responses. How we listen to the word matters. These two illustrations play themselves out year after year after youth group kids graduate from senior year and move on into college. And what they experience, we all, varying degrees, also experience. What we have seen the last weeks is that the central feature of a faithful church is preaching all of Christ from all of Scripture. When we preach all of Christ from all of Scripture and receive all of Christ from all of Scripture, when we get that right, by God's grace, all the other features of health begin to fall into place. But we began to see last week, as I mentioned earlier, that the hearing of Christ preach is not a passive event. This is not a spectator sport. Right now, your hearts are either engaged or disengaged. Your hearts are riveted to hear Christ and the truth of his word, or your heart is distracted and waiting for the message to be over. How we hear matters. And we saw last week that the condition of our heart conditions how we receive Christ preached. Well, this morning we're looking at one more text that warns us of what is coming against us and against the preached word and therefore we must be on guard against. Last time we looked at dull hearing and dull hearts more of how the circumstances of our lives can adjust or affect the state of our heart this morning, is looking what can happen from the outside in. And so if you're taking notes, there's four points this morning as we look at these verses here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. The first point is this, we live in a culture that works against the preaching of Christ, we live in a culture that works against the preaching of Christ. And for that, we'll look at a few different verses in our text at hand. And after we see that we live in a culture that works against the preaching of Christ, we will then move to number two. There are enemies of your soul that seek to creep into your heart and steal Christ. There are enemies of your soul that seek to creep into your heart and steal Christ. And we will focus on verse 6 to see that. And then for point number three, delete digital creepers. (laughs) Delete digital creepers. And then we will close our time with point number four. The antidote to those who creep into hearts is the preached word. The antidote to those who creep into preached hearts, or into hearts is the preached word. So let's, let's move into our text. Point number one. We live in a culture that works against the preaching of the word, the preaching of Christ. Look at verse one here in Second Timothy. We're going to look at a few different passages, a couple that we've already seen. Second Timothy 3 1. But understand this. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. And know that for Paul in the New Testament, the last days began with Christ's resurrection, but still await that consummation of Christ's return. We are in those difficult last days. If you skip down the verses 12 and 13, listen to this. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people, and note this word, imposters. While evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That is part of the difficulty of being in the last days. There are imposters. There are wolves in sheep's clothing. And as we saw in our uh, three weeks ago, chapter four, verse three, the apostle says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We live in a culture. That works against the preaching of the word. There are imposters and there are people who no longer want healthy preaching of the word, but rather want to gather for themselves teachers and preachers who will say what they want to hear, which is not all of Christ and all of his demands from all of scripture. We live in perilous times. And we live in times where, to quote Neil Postman, we amuse ourselves to death. We live in times where people are amusing themselves to death. Verse 1 spoke of times of difficulty. Verse 12 speaks of persecution for those who want to follow Jesus, live like Jesus, obey Jesus. And verse 13 speaks of the wolves in sheep's clothing, the imposters, who want to distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. To deny the word of God, to detract from all the truth of the Bible. And then down in verses 4, 3 and 4, we're reminded, in chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, we're reminded again that people will not endure healthy preaching. They won't want the word of God and yet they'll still do church. Church. That's the strange reality of Paul's logic in this passage, is they still want teachers, they still want preachers, they just want preachers to who will endorse their passions and sins. That's what that strange itching ears comment means. So there's gonna, they're going to build churches and put preachers in place who are going to call sin beautiful and righteousness strange. And the point I want to highlight, as we talk about being in difficult times, is there's cultural commentators, there's brothers and sisters in Christ who who look out and and recognize that we now, in America, since the year 2014, have moved into a negative culture. It's been argued that from 1994 and before, that the secular society was largely welcoming for the most part to Christianity. In other words, there was social capital that you had from going to church and claiming to be a Christian. It helped you get voted into office. And uh, there was, to to, to lessening degrees, uh, Christian morals, so to speak, among media and shows. But since 2014, in the Obergefell ruling, the next day, the cultural elites, and we're talking about Washington, D.C., and politics, we're talking about all of... Um, theater and more, and shows and movies in Hollywood and Silicon Valley and social media, we have moved into a culture that is actively and openly hostile to biblical Christianity. And you have to recognize that. We cannot sleep on this. It's no longer neutral ground that social media, politicians, and shows are all actively, movies and films and series, are openly hostile or subtly subversive to what Jesus teaches about human dignity, human life, and everything in between. What's wrong with the world, what's making the world right, and where the world is going. That Jesus Christ, his blood shed on the cross for our sins, his valiant resurrection conquering Satan from the dead and more is rejected. And the nucleus, the, the atoms that make up the building blocks of society, the, the Christian home as it were, it's that's what's under direct assault. This is our context. We live in a world that works against the preaching of the word and it's in this context that Paul tells Timothy 2,000 years ago to unflinchingly preach the word. That's what we'll see at the end of the message in the beginning of chapter 4 and we've looked at it a few weeks ago to unflinchingly preach all of Christ and all of his commands from all of the Bible. We're turning our attention to the environment now in which you hear the word preached. We live in a world where there is a strong gravitational pull overtly and covertly to draw your heart away from sitting under Christ preached from all of his word, or to distort and detract from all of Christ and all of his word. It reminds me if you've if you've ever read Screw Tape Letters written by C.S. Lewis, a brilliant fable of a senior demon speaking to a younger demon about how to work against their enemy, in this case, Christians. And one of the main things in screw tape letters is so long as you can keep the Christians Doubting the scientific validity of the Bible, when C.S. Lewis wrote this a long time ago, or if you can keep them distracted and amusing themselves to death, that's sufficient. They don't need to outright verbally deny Jesus, but if you can distract their hearts and dilute the word of God, that is sufficient for Satan to accomplish his purposes. So we need to be clear-eyed about this moment right now and why Jesus ordains and commands that the preaching of Him from all the Bible is the central feature, not the only feature, but the centerpiece of why we gather and do this. But what are the difficulties that we find ourselves in? Well, that's where we turn to verse 2 and 3 and 4 and more. Listen. What are these difficult times? What do the imposters look like? What will people become like? What are the characteristics and traits? What did I look like before I came to Christ and you? What is an unrestrained heart not governed and believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Verse 2 tells us, For people will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Paul lists 19 traits that are literally anti-Christ. Exactly none of those traits, of those 19, have an appearance of godliness. None of those are the ways of Jesus. None of those are the ways of the Christian. None of those are the qualifications for the office of elder or deacon. None of those exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. None of those exhibit humility. They are all the antithesis of who Jesus is. And that is what, left to ourselves, people become. And this is the cultural pull. It's these traits that we laugh at and enjoy, that are painted as beautiful in the songs we sing, in the shows we watch, in the scrolls that we scroll. And it's seductive, and it's subtle. It's overt, and it's covert. This is the cultural pull against us. This is what the world preaches. The world says, be like this, because this is okay. No need to repent of these things. The message is that sin is right and sin is beautiful. That is what is preached. And there is no need for Jesus to go to the cross and to atone for these very sins because they don't need atonement. You shouldn't feel guilty about those things, the world says. Don't feel shame or remorse. David Wells has defined worldliness as whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness seems strange whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness seems strange we live in a world where masculine men is strange and feminine women are strange and marrying young and having many kids that's strange being devoted to church that's strange Because those are the ways of Christ and more, whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness seem strange is worldliness, not godliness. And we live in that world that says that sin is beautiful, it is endearing, and it's worthy of celebrating and flying that flag. For every message of Jesus preached, the world has a counter message to try to confuse you, to seduce you, to throw you off course. And the world has the same message that it's always had, the message of Satan to Eve in the garden. Did God really say, you will not surely die, you will become like God If you disobey him, scripture has warned us last week about being dull of hearing, but this week we are being warned of the relentless and subtly seductive false preaching of the world to pull us away from all of Christ, preach from all of scripture and to dilute our souls with all that is anti Christ. somehow in all those ways being swollen with conceit and unappeasable and slanderous and disobedient to your parents is all going to be under the guise of looking godly the part of the hypocrisy and hiddenness of satan is he doesn't walk around in a red unitard with a porch with a pitchfork right he masquerades as an angel of light so the ways of Satan aren't overtly wrong when you first look at it. At first you go, maybe this seems right, this seems wise, this seems... All of these traits are normalized and they all boil down to counterfeit love, where people ultimately love pleasure over loving God. And we saw last time how, how Moses counted all the riches and pleasures of Egypt and rather the, the reproach of Christ's greater wealth than all of those things. You see, in loving God is the ultimate source of pleasure and joy. It's at his right hand that there are pleasures forevermore. And yet the world thinks that God is a kill joy and not a give joy. And so people are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And so what does verse 5 tell us at the end? Avoid such people. Why would his scripture say that? Well, 1 Corinthians 15.33, 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, do not be deceived, which means we can be deceived on this point. Bad company ruins good morals. So the idea is that if I spend most of my time with people who are characterized by this, that bad company ruins the good morals of Jesus in my life. The gravitational pull, because of remaining sin in my life and temptation to sin, is going to pull me into living that way rather than the way of Christ. Bad company ruins good morals. Now, don't mishear this to say that we need to go become monks and hermits and recluse from the world. We're in the world but not of it. This is part of what it means to not be of the world. But what I want to draw to our attention when Paul says avoid such people... There's more than avoidance that needs to happen. And in our day and age, there's this unique feature of avoidance that we must be aware of. And this brings us then to the second point. There are enemies of your soul that seek to creep into your heart and steal Christ. Let me say that again. There are enemies of your soul that seek to creep into your heart and steal Christ. Look at verses 6 and 7. Verse 6 opens, For among them, and that is all the traits of all the people that we've just heard, from among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins And led astray by various passions, always learning, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. There is a counter mission to the mission of Jesus. Our mission is to go and plant and strengthen healthy churches, go into all the world and make disciples of Jesus Christ. That is what we are called to do. But there is a counter mission underfoot The emissaries of Satan have a mission. We know that Satan, the the, the devil, that he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. This is how Satan prowls. He also creeps into households. And what Satan does is he works through these emissaries. This long list of character traits, Satan is working in and through that, having taken captive people to do his will, 2 Timothy chapter 2 tells us. And whether these people know it or not, having been taken by the devil to do his will, they still do it. There is creeping into households. There is an offensive against your soul there is a spiritual war for your eternal state there is a war against your soul your family's soul your kids' soul your grandparents' soul your spouse's soul your fr- your church's soul there is a war against our souls that seeks to root out to plunder and pillage the preached word of Christ And that war is overt and covert. And it's a battle against supremacy. Satan wants supremacy, his false word and false ways in our hearts. But Jesus is to have supremacy. And Jesus has supremacy through his word preached from all of scripture into our hearts. The command down in chapter 4 is to preach the word. But the danger we saw is that people, rather than feasting on the word, will reject it. Remember the itching ears we heard about a few moments ago? And the mission of these emissaries of Satan, look at verse 6. For among them there are those who creep. The word is worm. It's literally a, a bug, burrowing and eating its way in through the walls and floorboards of your home to get into your house. That is the imagery. That there are people who actively, intentionally, willfully creep or worm their way into households. It's secretly. It's seductively. It's subtly slipping into homes. Usually it's a, a knock and we open the door. There's an agenda that is hidden behind charm. There's an agenda hidden behind attractiveness. There's an agenda hidden behind emotions that play on the way that we feel, plausible words and plausible arguments that sound like one thing, but mean something else. In other words, these creepers endear themselves so that we let them in without any defenses up or archers on the wall. Remember, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. That's 2 Corinthians 11.14. So he's going to look handsome. He's going to look endearing. He's going to look like somebody that we want to follow and listen to. And the text says that these people whom we are to avoid are on the offensive. So we can stay away, but they are creeping into households to do what? Capture people. Do you see that word in your Bible? For among them are those who creep into households to capture weak women. And we will come to that. But that means that there is an agenda. There is an aim to enslave you, to shackle you, to burden you, to lead you astray from Jesus similar to what we saw last week about the parable of the soils, to come in and snatch away the seed of the preached word from the soil of your heart. They want to capture people. And what we see is that they prey upon a certain type of person. And so our text says weak women. Maybe you have a translation that says gullible women or little women. You see, what was being said here by Paul is this is a sharp rebuke. And it carries the idea of being immature. So literally in the Greek, it's little woman, like a, like a toddler. But it's not a commentary that caught, that, that little lady toddlers are bad. It's saying that adult women who have the senses and maturity, the childishness of a toddler, who are gullible and undiscerning, that's the rebuke. Similar to what we've heard of last week about being dull of hearing. And no, Paul is not saying that because a woman is a woman, she is immature. Absolutely not. Neither is he saying that because a woman is a woman, she's necessarily gullible. There are very weak men in our day also. This is equally true. You, given that first century context with women managing the household and people knocking on the door and entertaining guests, That's how 2,000 years ago they would worm their ways into the household. But if you notice the tactics, it's in the same way that Satan crept into the garden and went after Eve to get to Adam, he still does the same thing today. But men don't mishear this to think that you can't be gullible and you can't be a weak man. That is to say, immature when you ought to be mature in Christ. So just as wolves chase the herd to calve off the weak, these creepers look for gaps in the fence to sneak in with a smile on their face, open arms, and a seat at your table. So whether you're a man or a woman, the gullible and undiscerning are further burdened by these people. If you look at the the rest of the verse, it says that, that they are burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Think about the um, itching ears of chapter 4. They still go to church. They still listen to the preaching. They still hear something that's kind of Christianish. Maybe there's a Bible and then self-help or whatever it is. So they're always learning, but they're never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. These gullible people are dull of hearing. Satan goes after a certain type of church person. And like we saw last week in Hebrews 5, they're dull of hearing because their powers of discernment have not been trained by constant use to distinguish good from evil. So when it says they're burdened by sins and led astray by various passions, they're weighed down by sin rather than casting them off to Christ and letting the blood of Christ cleanse them from all unrighteousness. They carry their burdens and they maybe entertain their sins. They know it's bad. They have guilt and shame, but they like the sin more than Christ. And so they are burdened. They carry it. They don't have Christ's light yoke upon them. They have their own heavy burden and they keep it. And when it says that they're led astray by various passions, these are people who primarily live out of their appetites and emotions. They're not grounded in the gospel And the truth of all of Christ from all of the word preached is not the guardrails to their life. There are no guardrails because their feelings, they follow their heart. They are led astray by various passions, appetites. Jesus is not the light to their path. The preached word is not the fuel for their soul. Their feelings are the ultimate decider of what they do and don't do and more. And so emissaries of Satan look for a certain type of Christian to capture, to do what? To turn them away from the character of Christ and to cause them to begin to mirror the character of the world. They want to make sin look normal and Jesus's righteousness seem strange. And so Christians can become captivated, seduced, captured was the word, shackled. So to put this plainly, Satan has an active plan to creep into your life. Because you might hear this and say, well, I'm not a gullible man. I'm not a gullible woman. But don't worry. Satan is an equal opportunity evil one. And he looks for any chink in the armor any hole in the fence for any one of us. So this is not a passage about self-congratulating that we are not like these weak men and weak women, the little men and little women, immature and gullible. It is a warning from Paul to not just avoid them, but to be actively on guard against them because they are seeking to creep into each one of our lives. Satan has an active plan to bring you down to bring your wife down and your husband down, to bring your kids down, to bring your friends down, to bring this church down. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter anything about you. Satan hates you because you bear the image of God and he does not want you loving Jesus and since in the context of 2nd Timothy the key thing is the preaching of the word to fuel our souls this moment right now is when all the forces of evil come against our hearts and our minds and then the next moment is when you walk out these doors as if satan stands there to reach into the pocket of your heart and pull out the word we must be on guard Our passage indicates his aim is to get you away from the word of Christ, the character of Christ, to get you away from the preached word. Be sure that if preaching all of Christ from all of Scripture is the central feature of a faithful church, then he brings churches down and Christians down by leveling his direct assault against our hearts. But Paul says this 2,000 years ago. I have a question What is the primary way today, 2022, that creepers creep into our hearts? What is the primary way creepers creep into our hearts, our homes, and our churches today? The screens in your life. And so point number three, delete digital creepers. Now let me make my case but I know that you already intuitively know it's true. Numbers are hard to come by, but, and they're strongly skewed by generation. The younger you are, the more screen time you imbibe and you eat. But on average, people consume four hours of media a day. It could be ESPN and the commercials on ESPN. It could be whatever your news source is and how you access that news source. But the four hours of media is primarily binging on Hulu and Amazon Prime and Netflix and Facebook and TikTok and Twitter and Instagram and whatever else I forgot and whatever else is new. Four hours a day. And for Gen Z, right? so our teenagers, nine hours a day. And this is not talking about you working in front of a screen or doing in front of a screen for school. This is talking about the average American and the time that we now spend in social media. And for many people, most of us, the four hours a day spans the whole day in microdoses, Picking up our phones on average once or twice every few minutes. And this doesn't account for the fact that many people, especially younger people, will put Netflix on, put the show on, and then break at their phone and do two screens at once, if not more. By the way, you can go to the settings of your iPhone, and you can scroll in settings to screen time, and it'll tell you exactly how much time you spend on your screen and where you spend it. And the studies have shown two years ago that people were spending seven hours with their iPhones on each day. So what this means, if we go with the four hours, that means that on average, 28 hours per week over one full day is dedicated to passively and mindlessly listening to the pundits on YouTube, soaking in social media, binge watching the show. 28 hours a week, that's equivalent to three work days. That's 60 days a year dedicated to scrolling on our screens. Or two full months of Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, podcasts, all of those things, whatever your choice is. And under the guise of entertainment... We passively soak in the views and the attitudes from whatever, whatever show you're watching right now to whatever influences you're following, we passively soak in that it's okay to be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness, but denying its power. For Hollywood, it's normalizing sin by endearing our hearts to the characters who we become friends with on the screens. We root for them, we cry for them, and their sin becomes Normal to us. Yes, I hear what Jesus says about gender, sexuality, marriage. But these are heroes. These are my friends that I'm watching. And we passively engage in these stories and become desensitized. And think that this sin is actually okay. These people get a pass. Jesus' blood was not shed for this this sin. So Hollywood normalizes sin Um, covertly and overtly by endearing us to the people. And for Silicon Valley, it's the algorithm. Have you watched the documentary Social Dilemma? It's the algorithm that is designed that, that knows how long and how fast you scroll on certain images and the hashtags to those images to then populate your feed with more of those images. And it's, we've, there's trials at the the Senate in front of the House about how they, they Um, build in the soul more hate and division have you looked at our culture lately? 60 days a year what does that do to your soul? now consider church many faithful Christians go to church on average three times a month that's a very small percentage most go one or two times a month um, those who claim to be Christians Most faithful Christians go to church three times a month and in reformed circles such as ours, sermons tend to be 45 to 55 minutes over an hour. I preach 50. And if you even factor in the entire hour and a half service together... And a small subset goes to adult Sunday school, comes to Wednesday nights, goes to both of my classes. Some of you are in home fellowships. And a smaller subset will also listen to sermons and and, and podcasts on biblical truth throughout the week. But we're going with averages. So hearing all of Christ preach from all of scripture, even from a whole service, the songs we sing, the prayers we pray, the communion we take, that works out to a total of four and a half hours. Four and a half hours of gathered worship a month versus 120 hours of social media and Netflix. 120 hours versus four and a half hours. Why do I have a conviction of preaching long sermons? Because I know that I am preaching against what you passively take in, and even in my own soul, what I passively take in during the week. That's why we need long, strong sermons. That's why your elders have put together Sunday school and midweek and more. That works out to one hour of Jesus per week versus 30 hours a week on average, allowing for creepers to creep into our hearts and homes and undo and dilute Jesus in our lives. Now, those are generic numbers. You need to figure out for yourself honestly and soberly how you engage with our current cultural moment. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6.12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. And we know that there's dopamine responses and different chemical releases in our brains with the sounds that the games make and the sights that we see that allure us and even addict us and create pathways in our brain to return to the screen over and over again. Friends, you are always being discipled. And you are either being discipled and shaped by Jesus Christ or discipled and shaped by the social media world. You're discipled and shaped by the company you keep. And in Paul's day, these were, these were people who physically crept into homes with smiles on their faces. And now we just click the screen on every two minutes and take a quick look and then put it back in our pockets. Microdosing. Microdosing poison. We have been warned from Scripture that, that there's a satanic plot to gain access to your lives through warming their ways into your house, and really it's through your pocket and your purse. And by the way, this is not a conspiracy theory, this is a spoiler alert. So who you listen to matters. How much you listen to Matters. And remember, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. So he's going to masquerade as the person in your political party. He's going to masquerade as the person in your chat group. The person you follow on Twitter. Wherever you feel safe, Satan's going to masquerade there. And look like an angel of light to pull you away from Jesus Christ. His life in your place The ethic of Christ, who we're supposed to put on and walk in his ways and more. That the death of Christ on the cross, atoning for our sins, where we see both God's wrath against my sin and your sin, and God's love for us, shining at the cross. Jesus' valiant resurrection from the grave, conquering Satan, but he's still active. If he can lull you into distraction... If he can appeal to you to doubt Jesus' word. If he can redefine what a man and a woman is in your mind. As if that were even possible. If he can redefine what marriage is in your mind. If he can redefine what a sexual ethic is in your mind. That it's free to use outside the confines of marriage. If he can redefine how you use your wealth. If he can redefine how anything, Satan wants to flip everything that Jesus says on its head and make that look normal and safe. I am not necessarily advocating for the no use of social media. There are redemptive purposes that you can use for it, but I am advocating, at the very least, that you must in a way in no other era in human history, you must be careful. You must be guarded and you must be disciplined in your use of social media. That is how the number one tactic, Satan will creep into your heart. So what's the antidote? The antidote I want to set before us is the antidote that we saw in the first week. And the second week, and once again, the antidote against guarding and being careful and disciplined is to turn your attention to the words and ways of Christ taught and preached. When you look at the logic of all of Second Timothy, and if you look in your Bible and you scan down in chapter 3 and then into the back half of chapter 3 and into the beginning of chapter 4, you see that the antidote that Paul sets forth to Pastor Timothy is this. Preach the word. Listen. He says in verse 10, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Notice, creepers into households and the example of Paul. Indeed, verse 12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by Jesus' appearing and Jesus' kingdom, preach the word. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. The antidote, biblically, the antidote to those who creep and worm into our hearts is more preaching Christ. Is more placing yourself under the word preached, under the word taught, your personal devotions, and more, it's more Bible. That's what the antidote is. So the call here, like last week, is, friends, to guard because the condition of your heart conditions how you respond to the word. And when you're in social media for 28 hours a week or more, your heart is deconditioned to savor the Savior. It's not less Bible teaching. It's more Bible teaching. And, friends, there's good news. Don't you know it that Jesus remains a dragon slayer? So this is not about hopelessness, but it is about being on guard. Think about Ephesians 6 and spiritual armor that we wear, which each piece of armor is associated with the word of the gospel, the sword of the Spirit, and more. Maybe you hear these words, and, and you hear these words about all these attributes of loving self and and, and, and more. You, you hear about loving pleasure more than loving God, and maybe right now the Spirit of God is, is piercing your soul, saying, that is You know then there is a cross upon which God the son hung to atone for your sins and save you. You can be freed from all of those sins, all of the sins that burden you down, the guilt and the shame that you feel, the fear that you're racked with, and more. You can't out-sin Christ's grace, and this is a message, not just a warning, but an appeal. It's a beckoning of you to turn from those ways of the world and turn to the way of Christ, which is life and life everlasting. If you don't know Jesus, repent. Cry out to him, Lord, I am yours, save me. And place yourself in this family, sitting under the word preached. And maybe for all of us, this is a splash of cold water to our face to be on guard and vigilant. Guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the wellsprings of life. How much more when Solomon said that, is that true for us now in this day? And so when we think about the centrality of the preached word in the life of a faithful church, faithful Christians, we are on guard with sword and shield and helmet and breastplate and the cleats of righteousness all fitted with the gospel to guard against what the world says and more. Are you dressed for battle? Are you ready to preach the gospel of christ to see lost people saved and to let the word of christ preached in your heart reverberate among us to help each other know and follow jesus that's the glorious privilege he has given us as followers of jesus this is not a hopeless message this is an only hopeful message because jesus is reigning so friends be on guard be sober-minded The victory is already won. So we operate out of a place of victory and triumph. But the enemy is prowling. And so let's guard each other. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that your word is the sword of the Spirit. And your intention, Lord, is that you would be heralded from all the Bible to outfit our souls with all that we need to not only be like Jesus, but to help other people know and follow Jesus. So Lord, would you do that in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Friends, please stand for the singing of this song, and then one of the elders will come up in a few moments to lead us to the Lord's table. Let's sing whatever my God ordains is right.